Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. As we've talked over the months about technology, the need for technology within emergency services is critical. It's necessary to protect our citizens, protect our property. And today's guest, unfortunately, has experienced some of the reasons why. Uh, Our guest today is Nathan Lee. He's the founder and CEO of the Denise Amber Lee Foundation, and he's committed to telling his story just to help better the 911 system, to give tools, to talk about the necessary training for those of us behind the mic. Our discussion today, we're going to go back in time a few years. It's going to begin on January 17th of 2008. And as you'll soon hear, it's really a day that changed the Lee family's lives forever. Uh, Nathan, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you, John. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for to Hexagon for having me, and uh, you know, excited to talk to you today. Yeah, and we're we're so happy to have you on here, and um, just you know what you guys have been through. Uh, I'm I'm just thank you very much for joining us, is what I could say. So, uh, listen, I, I started it off talking about the date, but but to be fair, Nathan, you no one better than you could tell this story. So I'm going to ask you to share, if you will, a little bit of 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 how you got here and what happened on that day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, just Denise and I were were uh, two newlyweds. Uh, we were married just uh, the date that she died on January 17, 2008. We had been married a year and a half. And uh, we lived in Southwest Florida in the town of Northport, uh, which is about halfway between Tampa and Fort Myers on Florida's West Coast. And it just started off like any other day. I went to work for uh, Florida Power and Light, which is a power company here in Florida. And I was uh, I had the awesome job of reading meters where I got to walk through people's yards and avoid all their vicious dogs. Uh, but I came home from work and found my two boys, Noah and Adam, who were uh, Noah was two and Adam was six months at the time. They were really little. I came home and found them home alone. Uh, All of Denise's belongings were still there. Her phone, her purse, her keys were all still in the house. Uh, Everything looked normal. Um, The only thing that wasn't normal was she was not there. And uh, after trying to locate her around the house for a few minutes, um, I started to panic. I started something wasn't right. And I immediately called 911. And that started uh, a manhunt for uh, the person that ended up taking Denise, kidnapped her, uh, ultimately raped her and murdered her. Um, but it, it started one of the largest manhunts of Southwest Florida history. And um, there were some 911 calls that were made. Uh, and unfortunately, there was a few of them that weren't handled very well. And so uh, you know, just to kind of, uh, break that down, I can, you know, I can do it real briefly, but you know, there were after Denise, after we found out that Denise was kidnapped, she was able to make a 911 call herself, uh, f- about three hours after I arrived home, uh, she was able to finally tell us what had happened because she got a hold of the kidnapper's phone in the back of his green Camaro, uh, dialed 911. Uh, but you know, technology being what it was back in 2008, uh, it was a, uh, track phone, uh, mm-hmm. and those that, you know, understand the technology. It was a phase one call that came in and they were only able to get a tower location. And uh, she was able to at least tell them uh, she wasn't able to see anything. She couldn't tell them where she was at. Um, And even if she could see, we, you know, Denise wasn't, um, you know, she was one of the smartest people I've ever met. But when it came to geography, uh, that wasn't her forte. But um, which I mean, a lot of people feel the same way, especially in the world of GPS and, you know, Google Maps and, and all that stuff these days. But that's right. Uh, but she uh, she was able to call and, and basically say she didn't know who t- who had taken her. She confirmed she was kidnapped at that point. And then um, just 15 minutes later, after her call disconnected, um, a woman uh, by the name of Jane Kowalski uh, saw her screaming in the back of a car. 
uh, saw her banging on the window. She did not know anything about the, the disappearance. It, it hadn't been made public yet. Hmm. And she was able to call 911 uh, once she realized something wasn't right. And it went to her dad's agency. Uh, Denise's dad uh, is and was and is a police officer. And his agency took the call to Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't ever dispatched. Um, so the call taker who took the call did not like using CAD. Uh, she was a 15-year veteran at that point. She was a note taker. Uh, she was not wanting to, she, she would never really type into the CAD in real time. She would wait till after the call ended after she took a bunch of notes on a pa- piece of paper. And then she would go back in and, and, and type everything in afterwards. And they kind of let her get away with that. Well, on this night, because of the chaos, because it involved this search involved one of their own daughters, uh, pretty much every law enforcement officer in that agency was either working their normal shift uh, or was helping try to find Denise. Uh, there was multiple agencies involved at this point. You had um, Florida Wildlife. You had Florida Department of Law Enforcement, uh, Sarasota County Sheriff, Northport Police, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff, Florida Highway Patrol, um, Lee County Sheriff's Office. I mean, it was just, it was insane, the the, the size of this search. And, uh, but because the, dis- the dispatchers that were in the center that night were so fed up with having this call taker never do her job the right way, uh, the call taker took this call, stand, stood up and started shouting all the information saying, I think I have Denise and giving play-by-play, but the dispatchers told her, put in a call and then we'll dispatch it. Oh. So they basically picked that moment uh, to kind of teach her a lesson at that moment. And so then this, this all came out in the civil case during depositions and, uh, test court testimony. And, um, and so, you know, that's why, you know, uh, ultimately, uh, the call wasn't dispatched. So Michael King was able to evade that woman and eventually was able to turn and get out of her sights. And then he drove another six miles down the road. Uh, and that's where he ended up, you know, murdering Denise. So that was, the last chance that Denise had. Um, it was amazing that that citizen, her name was Jane Kowalski. She did what every we would hope every citizen would do. She saw something and it wasn't right. She dialed 911. Um, but just because of personality differences and egos, if you will, it wasn't dispatched. So yeah. ultimately that led, you know, this, this hit the media. It was a huge, a huge story after, you know, we, we, you know, they found Denise a couple days later. Um, you know, we had the funeral and then, uh, we started learning of some of these mistakes and, uh, you know, and then over the next few months, it, it just really was a whirlwind, but, uh, you know, the foundation, I decided to start a foundation to try to help, you know, turn her negative, her legacy into a positive instead of just being, the girl that was murdered in Florida, which is how every article would start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so and then that kind of wound us to where we are today. And uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing to just see that Denise has been able to make such an impact on the industry. And, you know, her legacy is something positive and she deserves all the credit. She made the ultimate sacrifice to, to do whatever she could to come home that day. But um, I know the mistakes that were made are, are being our lessons learned now. And, and 911 centers, hopefully you're doing everything you can to make sure it doesn't happen again. That, that's a heart-wrenching story. And, and and there's so many areas in there that it sounds like the foundation can focus on, right? In the midst of a tragedy, it sounds like you guys have kind of picked up and started focusing on the areas where a foundation like this one can really make a difference and, and help us in the emergency service community uh, do better as we move forward is what it sounds like. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many, there were so many lessons. I mean, I know from Technology being, you know, advanced more, you know, as far as like cell phone location and, you know, if they were able to locate her phone, you know, while she was dialing 911, it would have been amazing because we wouldn't be here. Uh, You know, if 
Yep. Uh, but, you know, you talk about training, you talk about elevating the level of 911 up to where they really should be. You know, 911 is just constantly thrown under the bus or, you know, buried into the ground or pounded into the ground with with things. And I just I really as I started traveling the country telling the story uh, and I started meeting folks in this industry, it, it was amazing. I was I was just it was amazing to see how much, you know, they welcomed us as a family with open arms. I was getting letters and emails and messages on social media. Back then it was MySpace. I mean, that's how long ago this was, but <laughs> yeah. uh, messages, messages on social media, just apologizing. Uh, dispatchers all over the country just wanting to say they were sorry. And it was it was just overwhelming to see how compassionate and dedicated the people were in 911. And then I started seeing how, you know, a lot of times the tools that they have are sometimes very limited and they're expected to do such a difficult job, such a high level with limited tools in their toolbox. So I just... It kind of evolved over the years of just turning. I, I just wanted to do anything I could to remind them why they do this. And, and that's kind of, you know, the evolution of the foundation over the years. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because in emergency services, if you sit in your home and you watch television and this is going back years, you'll watch different, you know, the CSIs of the of the world and the law and orders of the world. The technology that Hollywood portrays emergency services having isn't even reality. And in some of the areas that I'm thinking back and remembering here, Nathan, is, you know, person tracking and and car tracking. I always used to like, you know, whenever and I was working at 911, late 90s, early 2000s. So this was this was even earlier than what your story is. And I'd turn on turn on, you know, one of our favorite shows and all of a sudden they would be like, you know, uh, someone someone's in the back of a car. Let's let's track that vehicle. And then all of a sudden <laughs> they'd show this map and there'd, yeah. there'd, there'd, there'd be this little dot and they'd be able to follow that. And it's like, oh man, I don't have that at my center. And then as I got <laughs> into the technology a little more and I got into the vendor space, I'm like, well, that's because it doesn't exist. I mean, so it's amazing how technology has progressed forward, but but I think you're right in, in some of those things. It's it's the educating, it's the understanding and and realizing that, you know, technology can always do better. And there's always things that that we could have. Uh, you mentioned during this time that they were still in a phase one situation. Okay. So they, they knew the cell phone number, but they couldn't even tell you a tower or trying to triangulate the location of that. It becomes very interesting. And I think the public has an expectation of this is where you need to be. And what I love about foundations like what you guys are doing is it, it's not going out there. It, it doesn't feel like it's pointing fingers and pointing blame and saying, you know, you guys are doing this wrong. It really is out there talking to them and educating agencies and the community on, on, on how they should be thinking and how they should be forwardly progressing in their minds, budgets, and then in reality. Yeah. And, and the, the public, the public education, you know, my, my favorite thing of watching all those shows was how teleportation apparently was invented because they would, they would magically just arrive minutes later, like two hours away. It's just, you know, but, but that's, that's what dispatchers, we talk about this in our training classes that we do around the country is, you know, you, you always got to remember that the public doesn't know how this job works. You know, they, they don't understand what it's like to be in a dispatch center. They don't understand uh, how the technology actually works. But um, but on the 911 line is not the time to educate them. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, so we, we get into a lot of those things. But I, but I think especially when you come when it comes down to, you know, when people dial 911, you know, the most important thing is location. You know, th- that that's the there's no debating that. And and you can't send help if you don't know where they are. Uh, and yep. so that's the one of the biggest things that I've tried to help, you know, push 
over the years is just, man, we got to find a way. Google and and Domino's Pizza and Uber all know where we are, but but 911 doesn't. And, and that's a major issue. Um, and, and luckily, you know, over the last 18, 24 months, that's made, there's been some huge strides there. And, and I, that's the, that's what the public needs to keep hearing about is, okay, finally, you know, this is what you need to know when you call 911. They don't know instantly where you are. You know, it's not like government that's right. big brothers watching every little thing you do. So, um, but, but yeah, it's very, very important and frustrating, you know? Yeah. I've heard, I've heard stories over the years, uh, very similar, right? There was a, a child abduction over on the West coast and, um, and this came down and this was, you know, back in the nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties and officers actually pulled the vehicle over and it was as simple as they didn't have connections with uh, technology providing more, you know, be on the lookout type of information to where th- they're they're talking to this person and they're sitting on the side of the road and they run the plate and, you know, everything comes back normal. So they go on about their day and then come to find out, uh, unfortunately, the little girl was just like 15, 20 yards up into the woods uh, right where they, right where that, that person was with their vehicle. Um, you know, would it have made a difference in the end? I don't know. And I won't be even the first to be able to to judge that. But to your point, I wrote down a few areas here as you were talking. Training is, is the first one that I put in. And, you know, I started off with, well, clearly we need to train our dispatch staff and our emergency responders. And that has to be, that has to be first and foremost. But as we've been talking, my mind keeps going to, this is an overall training of the big picture. It's everything from the citizens out there to where they know what to expect and how to correctly dial in all the way down to the call taker, to the dispatcher, to the responder, giving them that overall training is so important to make sure that all of those steps are handled in an appropriate situation. Yeah, agreed. And if you look at training standards for 911 uh, as of right now in 2020, I believe the number is 22 states that still do not mandate 911 training. Mm, um, yep. And, and that's, that's alarming and disappointing and unacceptable. Uh, you know, where you have this huge push right now, you're starting to see 911 dispatchers or telecommunicators or emergency communications officers, whatever, whatever you want to title them. You know, they're they're finally being recognized as public safety personnel in, mm-hmm. in states all over the country. There's a federal push for that, but they're still not being minimally trained. Uh, you know, it's based on each agency, individual agency and what they want to do. And uh, most agencies out there, as you know, train way above any minimum that a state would would mandate but there are many of them that do not and it, it's really you know the the education piece for the public uh, also the training piece for for 911 but i think just as a whole law enforcement fire ems just being just all of that that realm in public safety recognizing how important 911 is as well is a big challenge you know and, and getting your sheriffs and chiefs to 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 recognize most do, but some don't that they just, oh, they're just dispatchers. And and that's, that's not okay either. Uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I try. We have a lot of police officers in our training classes and, and uh, you know, just trying to remind them 911 is the first link in the chain. Yep. If that link doesn't work. Nothing else does. And uh, you know, and it, it seems like the culture and, and it's starting to change a little bit, but there's still a long way to go. 
Yeah, we've been focusing uh, in. We've been focusing to your point on let's get dispatchers out of this uh, administrative secretary field and into an emergency responder um, type of category. And you know, I, I I always go back to that that silly saying, right? Heavy is the crown, but it's it is that. Okay, it is now. Now we're seeing some of these states move forward and and recognize the dispatchers as as a key link in this emergency services chain. I'm in complete agreement with that. But to your point, and this could be controversial to some, and I mean no disrespect, but okay, fine. If we get that, then we've got to meet that standard. And just like our field officers, our firefighters, our medics, that level of, of training and CEUs or continuing education models, all of that has got to be put into place. It's got to be uh, set up to where um, not only can we not, not only do we deserve that title, but then we can also prove just continue proving how important that title is to be able to, to say we are the first link in that chain. So, yeah, I couldn't agree yeah. more with you. So you, you brought up a couple areas here. You even said, you know, things have improved. What kind of improvements have you seen? Right. So, I mean, this has been you know, 12 years now uh, since this has happened, you know, and you've continually worked in the 911 and the pub- public safety industry, I think six months after you guys started this foundation. So you've got now almost a dozen years into this. How have things improved? Yeah, well, yeah, it, you know, it is it is a different industry than it was back in 2008. There's been a lot of changes that I've seen. And, you know, but first off, I'll just say for everybody listening, I'm not going to pretend ever to be a technology expert <laughs> when it comes mm-hmm. to 911. I okay. that's not my that's not my uh that's not my cup of tea, but but I I I have seen a lot of things, you know, from the from the standpoint of text to 911. I mean, now that that's been a huge uh, improvement. Um, you know, now we've got Rapid SOS who's come into the picture of now providing uh, you know, actual accurate dispatchable locations now with partnering with Apple and Google. Uh, that's been huge. I mean, I I know I hear stories all over the country now where we're getting we're finally past the phase two of okay we're getting a triangulation of an estimated location it's supposed to be within 50 to 300 meters uh and we're also hopefully getting gps which is helping that well man if we're calling from a basement in a metal building we're not going to get any signal and so gps and triangulation are useless and but you know what that building might have wi-fi and and that's where rapid sos now has kind of helped solve or is beginning to solve that challenge where if hey, if that phone, if it's an iPhone or or an Android phone, is connecting to Wi-Fi, it's going to still send a Wi-Fi location to that 911 center, and and that's, and and you know, partnering with companies like you know Hexagon and all these other CAD vendors, and now you have you know uh, phone uh, vendors now that are partner mapping vendors. Mm-hmm. It's I've, that's been a huge improvement, and that would have made a big difference in Denise's case if if Rapid SOS technology was was available back in 2008, and it might have been. It's just it probably was totally unrealistic for a publicly funded entity like 911 to be able to keep up uh, and pay for something like that or advance it. But it would have saved Denise's life. They would have known where she was. Uh, yeah. It would have at least made given her a better chance. So. Um, you know, I think from the technology standpoint, I think there's, you know, I know the CAD systems and radio systems have all continued to improve, you know, and but I, I still feel like the the biggest challenge that 911 is facing other than staffing, uh, which is always going to be a problem is is just getting it to the same level everywhere and, and kind of getting more uniformity and, and getting dispatchers to, 
you know, to giving them the tools necessary. When I say tools, I really focus more on 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 training, on quality assurance, mm-hmm. on making sure that all these policy procedures are being followed. I mean, there's agencies across the country that don't even have policy procedures, uh, and and that's that's what's that's tough. You can have all the technology in the world, but if you don't have a dispatcher trained at a high level, it it it's useless. So, I just. That's my big push. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I think that that those of us that have uh, and we've had numerous conversations about this with several guests, uh, even here on Hexagon Radio. And and I think that that we would all agree exactly with what you're saying. It, it's one thing, you know, I, I always kind of jokingly say I can go buy an iPhone 11 and I can put all the cool apps on it and then I could give it to to my grandmother um, who God lover is 91 years old and it's just a phone, meaning that she's not going to have the training and the ability to use that thing to, to the fullest. Um, so it's just a phone. And one of the areas that, that I think uh, from, from all parts of emergency services is, and we say it all the time is change management. It says that as new technology comes in, whether that's radios, CAD systems, um, you know, maybe it's add-ons, uh, you know, like the rapid SOS type of thing. And, and it's those types of features and functionality that come in. One of the areas isn't just to put the technology in because that's in it itself, you know, an expense and normally a lot of work. But then you got to train them on it. And OK, that 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 again, that 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 can be a nice little lift to get people understanding the technology. But don't underestimate the change management role. The, the the story that you told earlier, that dispatcher had the tool at least to put some of the information in, but was going old school and was writing it down on a paper. And you know what? Ninety nine point nine percent of the time it probably worked for her. Unfortunately, it's this it's this it's this one time that it didn't. And to me, that comes down to the change management role. It says not only did I give you the tools and I give you the training, but now I'm going to give you the why. And that don't be afraid to try this because it's it's new. Don't be so, you know, stuck on yep. yesterday and giving that change management atmosphere really kind of I've seen help uh, all all emergency services, whether it's dispatch, police or fire, really kind of incorporate some of this uh, new technology, new tools into their arsenal. Yeah, I agree. This job is not easy. You know, it has got to be one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. And, and I've never done it. I never will be able to do it. Even, even with all, uh, everything that I know about it at this point, I, you know, dispatchers make it look so easy. You know, I, I go into training, you know, training environments. I'll see somebody doing like a simulated call or I'll just sit in the comm center and watch them do their magic. And I'm like, I can do that. And then I, I'll, somebody will be like, okay, let's go in the training room and let's give it a shot. And they'll play a test call and I'll sit down. I'm, I can't do it. Uh, let alone, <laughs> yeah. let alone handling the stress and, and the, the lack of, you know, uh, closure and, just all the different things, the multitasking, um, it, it's not an easy job and not everybody can do it. And so if you, if, you know, Denise's case, there was a lot of different things. It wasn't, it wasn't just a training issue. This was an accountability issue. This was a quality assurance issue. This was a management supervisor issue. Like where, where was management? Where was management holding that dispatcher to the level of expectations? What were her expectations? Well, apparently they weren't to enter to calls in the CAD, which they had, which I'm sure mm-hmm. they spent a lot of money on. They let her just continue to write things down. And and that's okay. Some some have this mindset of, okay, well, they show up on time. They, they're a good employee and they're a very nice person. So we just want to kind of just, we'll just let them do that because it's it's just what's her name. You know, it's just Bob right. or it's just Sally. Right. And and that mindset has to change. And it, that's, it's not okay. So um, 
but yeah, I, 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 I just, think it's holding it's holding others to a it's it, it's it's holding each other to the higher standard. I mean, that's really what right. it comes down to. And and again, we 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 stay away from the the politics on this conversation, um, and 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 play hard doing that. But as everyone knows, yep. no matter right. what channel news channel that that, that you prefer to uh, to, to to watch, everybody knows that right now there is a microscope focusing in on public safety. And everything that we do from beginning to end, whether it's that first call down to the report, down to what, you know, where, where we take that person uh, afterwards, everything is now being scrutinized. So it's up to us to come up to a standard and maintain that standard uh, that is, you know, may not be acceptable to everyone, but it but at least hits that, to your point, the policy and procedures that are set forth by that agency and puts those into practice. Yeah, I I. I guess where my point where I was going with that is if, if you can't, if somebody gets to a point they can't do this job anymore, it's too important to try to just, you know, go through the motions. You find something else. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but if, but I, I always, I, I encourage the dispatchers. I, I bring this up in every class we do when we talk about Denise's story. And I, I, I want to know if they, if they still like it, you know, and then a lot of them will say no, you know, they're, they're counting the days to retirement. And those are the ones I want in our class because I want them I want to try to resurrect them. I want to try yeah. to remind them of, of, you know, reignite the flame and remind them how important they are. And, and just because if they can do the job, it's hard enough to find people that can do the job, but these people can, but they're getting burnt out. And, and I, I just, you know, I challenge 911 centers all over. I challenge leadership all over to really find out why are your dispatchers getting burnt out? Yep. You know, it's not always because of the calls they're taking. It's a lot of other things that get thrown into the fray. And, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's just being able to, you know, really finally gives, let's just start paying attention to these issues in 9-1. Let's, let's, I want these leaders and policymakers to start letting, you know, let's start hearing their voices for a few minutes and let's, let's give them what they need. Let's, let's try to, we're now elevating them to public safety. Fantastic. Let's keep doing that, but let's, let's go a step further. Let's find out why we have a staffing issue. Let's go out and why are people leaving our center? Why are people, you know, leaving this industry? I, there was a study by APGO ProChart a few years ago that that um, that mentioned that 97% of public safety personnel or, or public safety communications personnel are not going to reach retirement. And mm. and that's, that's, that's horrifying. You know, that's devastating, you know, and, um, but I, I just, you, you start, training, you start, you know, making sure things are being done, you put the technology in front of them, we start, man, it, it just, it really makes a huge difference. And um, ultimately, the most important thing is that people come home when somebody calls 911, they get the help that they deserve. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, Denise that night didn't, but um, hopefully, you know, the, the her not getting that has, you know, been yeah. able to lead to um, other people getting it. And, and I'm, I'm confident of that. So what what kind of response have you been getting? So you just talked about, you know, Nathan, when you're standing in front of of a group of of 911 professionals and and you may have some of those those dispatchers who are in there, they've hit their, you know, they're, they're burnt out, they 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 just feel like, you know, they're unappreciated or why bother? And and you're seeing that type of response. As you're telling your story and as you guys are having these open conversations across the US, what type of response are you getting from the dispatchers? Well, I'll I'll tell you the, the majority of the people that I get a chance to meet are are 100% you know compassionate, still love their job and and are upbeat and motivated. Uh, but but I do I do occasionally run into folks that that aren't and 
um, most of the time it's, it's amazing. And it, it's actually the, probably the most gratifying thing. It, it, it when this happens, it, rem, it reminds me that Denise didn't die in vain. And I get people that come up to me all the time and say, listen, you, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be those dispatchers. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do better. Uh, you make me want to be, Denise makes me want to be a better dispatcher. Yep. And that's the best thing that I can hear. And I I will say this, even if the dispatchers are burnt out, very rarely do I ever encounter anyone that's not nice. Uh, <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> I leave I leave everywhere after I teach all over the country. I've been to 48 states. Um, so if you know anybody in Hawaii, let me know. That's one of the two. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just never leave going, man, what a bunch of jerks. I never leave saying that. I just leave going, man, just so they're, they're such nice, passionate, amazing people. They've dedicated their career, their lives to helping people. And I, they just, I hate to see it because they just keep getting, you know, punched around, you know, by callers, by, by, you know, field units, by, by, you know, maybe management by just coworkers. I mean, it's just, I just hate that. So, um, but I, overall the response is amazing it's what really just endeared me to this industry after it happened instead i could have easily went around bashing 911 uh right. but man it, that never one that's what that's not what denise would have wanted me to do but two just the letters and the the hugs and the the i'm sorry's and the just we want to do better. Denise's, we're going to play Denise's story in front of all of our trainees, and we want to make sure all of our dispatchers go through your class. And that's that's the stuff that that never gets old. And um, no, you that, know, it's yeah, that that is great to hear, Nathan, because I think uh, I think that 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 you're right. No one's going to care more than a 911 dispatcher, and I mean that because they know that they're the first link. They know that they're the ones that's picking up that that phone, and and that you're calling them not to say hello, not to complain about your your tax bill, not to complain about something. <laughs> you're calling them because you're having the worst day possible, no matter what the situation is. Um, and and that's the life that these guys in the profession that that, that has been chosen and is taken very seriously here. And I'm glad to hear that it it kind of reaffirms exactly where where my head was is that you know the the 911 dispatch community is a great group of people that are passionate that give their all to this and yeah. but I think that the points that we've talked about today are are points that we can't uh, we can't take lightly we've got to remember uh, exactly you know the denises of the world and how in and what we do matters uh, whenever those minutes are, are ticking away. So tell me about the foundation. Where do you guys see the future of the foundation going? Where, where, where do you see this thing going, yeah. building to? And man, it's amazing. I, I've, I've, you know, we're actually uh, just hit the 12 year anniversary of, of the, be of the beginning of the Denise Amberley foundation. We found a, an old P and L uh, profit and loss that we did early on being a nonprofit, you know, obviously every business needs to keep numbers and, and bookkeeping, but, uh, but being a nonprofit, uh, we have we keep all of our records with that stuff, even going back to the beginning. And I found a PL that that showed we made a profit in 2010, I believe, of thirty six dollars. Um, and I think we I think we brought in like maybe we did, I think, seventeen thousand dollars in training that year. Uh, and, you know, the last this past year, we were almost to a half a million in, in training revenue. And all of that goes back into 911. I mean, we we're a nonprofit. We're not making we're not making a profit. We're you know, putting it back in the industry. And we have four full-time employees. We're doing training. We have a team, uh, a whole, a large team of, of uh, instructors that travels around uh, teaching 911 dispatchers. Um, we do quality assurance 
consulting for for agencies. We help agencies build QA programs or improve their existing quality assurance programs. We do third-party QA uh, for agencies uh, because a lot of times when an agency is not doing quality assurance, it's because they don't have the staff to do it. Um, and so we're trying to help solve, you know, bridge that gap. Um, you know, Denise's Denise's story and and our our foundation has been part of a lot of national initiatives like the APCO-NINA Quality Assurance Standard. Um, the national minimum training guideline that came out a few years ago through the ni- national 911 office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I just want to, I, I guess I see the foundation. I just want us to continue to, to, to be that reminder, you know, and I, I hope we continue to grow and I hope we can continue to just help, you know, focus on the dispatchers themselves. You know, I want, I want us to be that advocate for them. I want us to, to continue to, Whatever they need, we want to help. We want to help give it to them. And um, and I just I want to see Denise continue to make a difference. I mean, I'm real excited. I mean, the boys are 14 and 13 now, and they're getting to that age where they, you know, they're doing amazing. Those of you mm-hmm. that that have followed this story and and you know, they're they're great. I mean, they're they're fantastic boys. It's amazing how resilient kids are. Yeah. But it's getting close to me having to tell them really what happened. They know a lot of what happened, but it, it's going to be a tough. It's going to mm-hmm. be a tough day. But at least I'm going to be able to counter that with, okay, but look what we did about it. Look what we, look what, look what's happened since. And that's the lesson that I would hope they would learn from me. If anything is just, listen, no matter what happens, you just, you have control of your reaction. So, um, you know, I, I guess that I don't, I don't know where I see us. I just, I want us to just continue to make a difference and, and continue to help any way we can. It's awesome, Nathan, uh, the story that that you're going to be able to tell your kids, because as you said, you're going to have to give them the reality of what happened, um, you know, originally. But then what what I mean, what their dad did and how you you know, I think you said it earlier. You could have just curled up, got all upset and then just spent the next 10 years just being upset with the system and 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 using every opportunity to just bad mouth and and just continue that what I'll call negativity and I got to commend you 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 didn't yeah. and I mean within months you guys turned this around and and the focus was let's make it better and the story that you're going to be able to tell uh, to tell your kids is just amazing to me. And I think that, that Noah and Adam are definitely going to be proud as they realize exactly what you guys have done uh, over these last 12 years. And I, th- I thank you and commend you for that because, well, I know uh, that had to be a tough thing to be able to just move past that and focus on what good can come out of it. That had to be tough. Yeah, thanks, John. And I'll tell you, 911, the industry, the community itself deserves a lot of credit because if it wasn't for them letting me do this, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have gotten to a new normal. I wouldn't have, um, you know, I, I just, you know, a year and a half ago, I got remarried. You know, I've been able to find love for the second time in my life. Some people never find it for the first time. I'm super blessed. I've met thousands of the most amazing people in, on, in the planet. I would say 98% of my, the people that I talk to every day are all dispatchers. And it's, uh, I, I just, I'm very thankful to the industry for letting me let Denise make a difference. And uh, I know that was tough early on. I know it was tough to to have a black eye because Denise's case was a black eye. But, you know, even here locally in our area in Southwest Florida, you know, the agencies that got that made the big mistakes have all made huge strides. I mean, the, the agency that, that didn't dispatch the call, I know, has come a long way. I still live in that county. Mm. Um, and so I'm just really thankful to them for for whatever they had to do to, to make sure this didn't happen again. And. Um, you know, it's it, the, a lot of the credit 
goes to the industry is basically what I'm saying. I just can't thank them enough for letting me do this. And I can't thank them enough for what they do. Yeah, no, that, then that's a, that, that's a great ending to the story for sure. And well, I'm sorry, again, a great continuation to the story, not an ending. Cause it, you guys are, uh, you guys are hitting your stride and, and running quickly. So that is great. How can our listeners help support your organization? Is there anything that, that, that you want to kind of put out there if anyone's listening and wants to support? Well, yeah, I, we, you know, we have, uh, we're on all the social media platforms, uh, they can visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a website, denisamberlee.org. They can uh, join our newsletter by texting DALF to the number 66866. Again, that's 66866. And they just put DALF in the uh, text message and they'll be able to they'll instantly join our newsletter, which will keep them up to date on, on all the things that we have coming up, training, training courses, which you know, as of now are all been, uh, in the virtual variety. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. haven't, we've done a few courses, uh, in person here in the last couple of weeks, but, uh, for the foreseeable future, they will be virtual. So if agencies are still looking to get training hours and, and need training, uh, they can reach out to us through our website. And, uh, you know, we, I just have to give a shout out to all of our corporate partners for all the support that they give us. We're really thankful, you know, being a nonprofit, we'd need every little every penny we can get. And the last thing I'll say, one of my favorite things is uh, people can uh, donate through Amazon. Uh, Amazon has a really cool philanthropic arm called Amazon Smile. They can, instead of just going to amazon.com, they go to amazonsmile.com and it it's the same website. It just triggers Amazon to have you select a nonprofit uh, that Amazon then every time you make a purchase donates uh, to that nonprofit. So um, you can sh- select the Denise Amber Lee Foundation in that, or if you don't choose us, at least pick another nonprofit. Jeff Bezos and Amazon can afford to give a little bit of money away. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, and, and the one, one thing they can do, the last thing I'll say, John, is just continue to be the best you can every single day. You know, go to work, all the dispatchers listening, just never forget why you do this job and remember what a critical role you play. Uh, you're the, the front lines of, of our, you know, homeland security, basically. I mean, you guys are the trenches and you're the first link. So just please uh, don't ever forget why you do it. And I can't thank you enough uh, for the sacrifices you make every day. So. Uh, thank you to all the dispatchers out there. Well, Nathan, I couldn't say it any better myself. Um, so, so I'm not even going to try. I, I just want to thank you for uh, all the work that you have put in over the last 12 years. Again, um, my heartfelt condolences uh, on behalf of Hexagon for what you had to endure. Um, I'm glad to hear that your two boys are doing great, and you know, congratulations on the new marriage uh, here in the last couple of years that you've got to experience here. Uh, but again, thank you very much. And for those of if you, if you didn't write that down, Amazon Smile, go on the Amazon site. I know that you're already ordering items. Uh, you know, you can select the Denise Amber Lee Foundation and uh, Jeff will send a couple bucks their way. Uh, and for updates, I think that number was text the number 66866. And in that put D-A-L-F and you'll get updates uh, from Denise Amber Lee Foundation. But uh, Nathan, once again, thank you very much. Uh, to hear additional episodes or learn more, visit hxgnspotlight.com. And thanks for tuning in.